Hi friends, it's me, Stephanie, your host of Immersive Crime. As you know, I usually try to be a little more victim-focused with my true crime stories that I tell you, but this week will be a little bit different. This week's case is more about the committer of the crimes, but in his own way, he is a victim of the era. We will travel back to the 1950s, a time when mental health was very taboo and so misunderstood, and the techniques that they used to help treat people were kind of crazy. Some people in our own day and age still think this way about mental health. Maybe not with the crazy treatments, but still, it's something that you, air quotations, don't talk about. And it's such a shame, as no one should place any kind of stigma on seeking or needing mental health treatment. After all, our human brains is a mysterious organ, and there are many things science and doctors still question and that they don't know about the development and how nature versus nurture impacts our actions and our thoughts and feelings. If you or anyone you know needs help of any kind, of any way, whether it be diagnosis-driven or you just need to talk some, to someone, please don't hesitate to seek help. You won't be judged or ridiculed, and it's becoming a commonplace practice. I will provide some mental health numbers and resources on our Instagram page at immersive underscore crime underscore podcast. So please share those and use them if you need. After that important PSA, let's get to it. Today's case is the story of what is known as Murder Ridge. Warning to listeners, this story contains descriptions of violence and acts that may be disturbing or triggering for some. Please listen with care. Let's get started. Sit back and visualize. The year we are starting in is 1942 in a small town called Newcastle. This small town is an area located between Mount Vernon, Ohio and Coshocton, Ohio. It's located in the Northeast and is pretty much a rural area. It's lots of farming land and rolling hills, just the opposite of Northwest Ohio that is flat farmland. In 1942, many things were happening. World War II was in full swing and the United States of America just joined the fight. This also spurred the draft age being lowered from 21 years old to 18 years old. Fun fact about 1942, duct tape was invented, as well as instant coffee. When you would turn on the radio, you would hear a program called The Voice of America, and that was established as a World War II propaganda tool to help fight against the Nazi agenda and Nazi propaganda. You would also hear hit songs like Night and Day by Frank Sinatra, as well as many other kroner tunes, and at Christmas time, the hit White Christmas by Bing Cosby came out. Something else that happened affected only the Reese family. The Reese family came over from Germany long before 1942. But the family that we are talking about was made up of Robert Reese. He was the father of the two siblings I will be speaking of today. 
In all the accounts I used in research for this case, Robert Reese was in his 50s when Cletus was born in 1918. Robert had been previously married, but his first wife had passed away. And before she passed away, uh, they had a daughter and they named her Ethel. Ethel was 11 years older than Cletus. And when his mother passed away when he was six from complications of diabetes, you see insulin as we know it only came into existence in 1919, Ethel assumed the role of a mother figure to Cletus. Paired with the poverty life that comes with being a farming family, the Reese's knew hardships. When we fast forward to 1942, this is when Robert Reese passed away, leaving Cletus and Ethel as the only ones left of their family. It is noted that in this moment, at this time, the acceleration of Cletus's mental decline started. Prior to this event, Cletus was described as being quirky and kind of an odd guy, but reasonably nice. He was shy, kept mostly to himself, and he was physically strong. There were friends that would describe him as being able to pick up two full metal milk cans, one in each hand, as well as being able to hold two full-grown hogs under each arm. These are like very farming statistics about how strong this guy was. There was also a story that a man needed to change a tire in his car but didn't have a jack and Cletus simply walked over to the car, picked up the corner while a man slipped the block underneath it so he could change the tire. To be simply put, Cletus was super strong and super big. He was about 250 pounds and rather tall. No um, resource I had said how tall he was. But after the passing of his father, his quirks started to become more pronounced as the years went by. He was witnessed having very animated conversations at times with invisible companions. He also had a temper and it was known to flare when he would drink and he liked to drink. Something else to note about Cletus is that when his draft number came up for World War II, he was rejected without further comment by the draft board despite his robust physical condition. And that says something because they were in the need of soldiers. There were also many accounts of people around town being out on the road near the Reese farm in the middle of the night and recalling seeing Cletus crossing the road with his hunting dogs muttering out loud to unseen people. After the passing of their father, Ethel and Cletus pooled their inheritance and placed the 65-acre farm into Ethel's name and she appointed Cletus the task of running the farm in hopes that it would help his mental status to be more stable. Even after acquiring additional land for Cletus to work, he started showing little interest in the upkeep of the property, and the family decided that it was no longer safe for Cletus to be left on his own. Ethel had Cletus committed to the Ohio State Hospital in Cambridge, and this is where he received a diagnosis of schizophrenia. It seemed things were going better for him with his treatments as Cletus was stabilizing a little bit. He even made a friend with a fellow patient, a World War II veteran named Paul Tisch. They were an amusing pair of contrast. Tisch was said to be a small, scrawny man, while Reese was barrel-chested and strong. But for a patient known to be shy and antisocial, the friendship was an accomplishment. After less than a year at the hospital, the doctor suggested to Ethel that Cletus would be ready to come home, and she wasn't so sure about this. It hadn't been very long for treatment, 
but they all agreed to a trial release program with periodic supervision by Ethel to see how things would be going for Cletus. Cletus Reese was released and he returned to the farm on the ridge over- overlooking what they called Possum Hollow. It is interesting to note that only a few months after Cletus returned, the original family farmhouse suddenly burned down. The rest of his life, Cletus was always able to recall the exact date that the unexplained fire happened, which was very curious to find out, and he lived in a smaller house on the same property. During this time, when Cletus left the Ohio State Hospital in Cambridge, his friend Paul Tisch walked off the grounds on December 8th of 1952. It was noted that he was wearing a leather jacket and two pair of pants. Authorities searched but were unable to locate him and his trail went cold, and he was never seen again. Jumping forward to another year in 1953, another friend of Cletus's, a farmhand by the name of Lester Mellick, who also worked on a farm nearby the Reese's family farm, was going to have a drink with Cletus, and he mentioned this to a waitress while he was having supper. And they were actually seen having a beer at a local bar. Mellick was never seen after that. Extensive searches and questionings by the Knox County Sheriff Department didn't uncover any leads, and Cletus denied ever knowing anything about the disappearance. And the next year is when the event happens that would uncover Cletus's dark secret. On Wednesday, June 2nd, 1954, Cletus called the Hafner Truck and Equipment Company in Coshocton, Ohio. He said that he wanted to take a new Hudson automobile for a test drive. And what I found to be strange is that in those days, it wasn't unusual for a dealership to drive the vehicle to the customer, much like I think Carvana's doing now. Who would have thought history really does repeat itself and that that isn't a new concept. Clyde Patton, a full-time teacher, part-time car salesman, had already been to the farm previously to demonstrate vehicles to Cletus. So, while Ethel was there, who was at the farm that day for one of the supervised visitations, um, didn't think anything of it when Patton arrived with yet another car to show Cletus. Sympathizing with Patton, who had a wife and four young children to support and a fifth one on the way, used auto sales as part-time to boost his income. And Ethel was also a school teacher, and she did the same thing, but with waitressing. Ethel then let Patton know that Cletus was in no position to get a new car, when she hadn't even paid off his current vehicle, but she didn't object to the test drive. After she saw the two men return, nothing seemed out of ordinary, except for she did report to authorities that Cletus had an odd look about him. He seemed to be distant and tense, but they pulled in the car and turned it around and she was stepping back into the farmhouse, but nothing seemed too strange for her to like go out there and check or anything. A little while later, Cletus came into the house and Ethel assumed Patton had left. Ethel stayed overnight to fulfill her duty of observing Cletus and the next day when she was preparing to head home, she noticed that that Hudson that Mr. Patton brought over was still in the driveway. She just assumed that Cletus was giving it a test audition and someone else had picked up Mr. Patton. So my mom did this with a car, except for they didn't bring it to her. She just auditioned the car for a long weekend. And I was like learning how to drive. And I thought it was the coolest thing ever because it was like a brand new car. 
Anyways, I just find that to be fascinating. When Ethel got home, she made sure to call the dealership to pick up the car from her brother. All the while, Clyde Patton's wife, Rosalie, suspected something was not right when her husband didn't show up for supper that Wednesday evening on June 2nd. She called Coshocton County Sheriff Gilbert Kempft that evening, but Kempft declined to do anything until 24 hours had passed. She could do nothing but wait, which is probably how the standard of waiting started. People saying it was a law. It's so aggravating. It's not really, you know, squeaky wheel gets the grease. Keep on them. Um, but after all, it was hardly unheard of for a stressed out husband to run off for the night of for drinking or whatever else. Um, but as the day wore on and Patton did not show up anywhere, Sheriff Kempf began to fear the, fear the worst. On Friday, June 4th, the sheriff and numerous deputies arrived at the Reese family farm early in the day. They asked for permission to search the farmhouse while Sheriff Kempf questioned Cletus. Cletus gave them permission to search, but gave evasive and inconsistent answers, growing more and more nervous. The next part I think is so weird. When the sheriff arrived to the Reese's farm, they had Rosalie with them. She was brought in and identified some personal objects that were found in the search of the property. These items included a pocket secretary, which is like a card holder that would hold business cards and phone numbers. Um, it was mostly used by salesmen, kind of like a, a portable Rolodex. Um, there was also a wristwatch, a pen and pencil set, and a pocket knife. Cletus had left the wristwatch sitting on a Bible. This was a time before crime scene preservation um, and it's crazy because over a hundred people searched the house in barns and these people were like journalists just public curiosity seekers as well as official investigators it just is mind-blowing to me on the second day of the search a major clue was discovered a bloody trail led from a field several hundred yards behind the farmhouse to a plowed furrow a hundred feet away just behind the barn for those who don't know like me what a furrow was i thought i knew what it was but i wanted to make sure so i could explain it to you all um it's a long narrow trench made for planting seeds so you plow the um row and then you put the seed in and you cover back up so if someone said they had to hoe a row this would result in a furrow the trail looked as if something heavy had been dragged along it. In the furrow, not completely covered up, the searchers found the remains of Clyde Patton face down. It was later ruled by the coroner that Mr. Patton's head had been crushed and that this was his cause of death. The investigators, and everyone else that was at the scene, also found a bloody piece of oak near the furrow, and that was assumed that's what was used to kill Mr. Patton. When taken out to the field and confronted with the evidence of his guilt, Reese didn't show much emotion. He just began mumbling incoherently, and the clearest thing he said to the sheriff was, this has been going on a long time. He refused then to offer any other information past that, hanging his head and refusing to make eye contact. Cletus Reese was then and there placed under arrest for murder. The Knox County Sheriff Cochran, who was investigating the disappearance of Lester Malik, caught wind of the arrest of Cletus Reese. 
and he asked if he could join in the interrogation as he suspected that Cletus had something to do with the disappearance of Malik. When the Knox County Sheriff questioned Cletus, he was going so hard at him for so long, and eventually Cletus broke down in tears and blubbered that he shot Malik in the head. However, when the questioning continued the next day, Cletus denied the whole story or ever even saying it. Meanwhile, more searching was happening at the Reese farm by all those people, and now that included the son of Lester Malik, Harry Malik. He knew that his father had known Reese, and he agreed with Sheriff Cochran that Cletus probably had something to do with Lester's disappearance because just leaving wasn't like his dad. He joined in vigorously searching on Thursday, and that's when he identified an area further up on the ridge where the grass looked slightly discolored from the surrounding grass. The deputies dug and found a body. Now, this wasn't who they were looking for. It wasn't Lester Malik. The remains were younger and smaller and male, and the remains were wearing a leather jacket and two pair of pants. This was Cletus's only friend from the hospital, Paul Tish. This was so shocking to everyone that the next day, over 600 volunteers combed the farm looking for Lester Malik. His remains were eventually found across the road from the house. The remains didn't show any gunshot wounds as Cletus has claimed there would be, but Lester Malik was beaten in the head just as the others had been. This led the sheriff to ask Cletus how many more remains they would find. Cletus eventually replied, you won't find any more, three is all. That is when the sheriff called off the, the official searches and declared it over. Over the years, other searches were conducted of what people started calling Murder Ridge, but nothing was ever found further. It's reported that the Sunday after Cletus was charged, over a thousand people roamed the Reese's farm having a look around, which is so mind-blowing to me. Just how much damage those people do and disturb in a crime scene. Like, I bet there was so much more evidence that could have been collected in the case, but in 1950s, it's a crazy time for crime science for sure. Like, no official protocol. It was like the Wild West out there, just a free-for-all for everybody. Eventually, Cletus gave confessions to the murders, but it was tales that did not fit with what happened to the remains of the three victims. At one point, Reese changed his story to claim that he had shot all three men and that he had never beaten their heads in. And authorities go on to say that it was almost a desperate avoidance of admitting physical contact, and it was a very strong clue that something was wrong inside Cletus's mind. Surrounding area authorities all asked for their time with Cletus in an attempt to solve their missing person cases to see if he had anything to do with them. But when questioned, the only thing that Cletus would do would sit in silence and hang his head. In the end, the public blamed Ethel, his sister, for bringing him home, although she explained to everyone what her thoughts were and how she took the advice of the doctors at the hospital. She was eventually taken to court for a civil suit and claims of wrongful death by Rosalie Patton, Clyde Patton's wife, and his wife won the case, and Ethel was ordered to pay the Patton family $100,000, which would be about $1.1 million today. Cletus was sent from Coshocton County Jail to the Lima State Hospital for a formal evaluation of his sanity. 
After only a month's observance, Superintendent R.E. Bushong wrote the Coshocton County officials. He noted that while Reese was generally a calm and polite person, his words suggested otherwise, and he is quoted as saying, It is in his speech that much incoherence is noted for he uses many coined words and his stream of talk is disconnected and delusional. Bushong goes to write, The delusions are mainly of grandiose, though morbid, character. It is in his belief that he had a mission to perform because of his fancied employment by the FBI, and in his fulfillment of a mission, he did away with three men. Bushong goes on to say, He brings the names of prominent people into a scheme of things and would have us believe that they visited him while he was in jail. He also spoke of Reese having hallucinations of sight and of hearing. His judgment was clear, though. Altogether, he goes on to say, Reese is severely deranged, and it is our opinion that he is legally insane. Highly dangerous and, of course, committable, and being committable means committable to the hospital. Heeding the report on August 17th of 1954, Judge Lloyd S. Leach declared Reese unfit for trial and sentenced him to return to Lima State Hospital until he was restored of reason and would be able to stand trial. This sentence was only for the death of Clyde Patton, and the other two charges were being held back in hopes that eventually Reese would be able to stand trial. But he never was. Little else is known about Reese's years in the asylum. He died of a heart attack at the Lima State Hospital in May of 1966. He was just 48 years old. His body was returned to his family for the burial. In many ways, like I said at the beginning of this case, Cletus was also a victim of the area. Not a lot was understood or even known about human mental state and why things happened, and maybe if it was a different time, things would have looked different for everyone in this case. There are many theories that Cletus was homosexual and that he found these men attractive, but then had a twisted thinking because in this era, and I use air quotations when saying this, being homosexual wasn't right. So his deep shame caused him to be angry and his large stature and size was uncontrollable. But I guess we will never really have the answers. It's just something that I was thinking about, especially when authorities said that claiming that he didn't beat them and that he shot them was like distancing him from ever having contact with their bodies. And it was also noted um, in a source that him gathering the personal effects and keeping them in his bedroom, um, it was reviewed by a, later on um, by a profiler that that was also something to note. But as always, I thank you for listening to my little bit of a different story today. I know usually in the end, I ask you to take time to say the name of the people who are involved, but maybe today take time and think about the era and take time to think about what we can do to help public thinking about mental health. 70 years later, there are still holes in the care of those who need mental treatment and those who wish to seek mental treatment but are afraid or they think that it's shameful. That is something that we should change. So that's what I ask you to do today. Take time to think of that. Take time to ask someone really how they're doing. As always, thank you for listening and until next time. Mm -hmm.